talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie-by-movie and television series-by-television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Spider-Man No Way Home, released in December 2021, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach receiving an honorary doctorate from the University of West Attica in Greece, Martin Scorsese starting post-production work on Killers of the Flower Moon, or Jennifer Aniston in the remake of the Facts of Life episode Kids Can Be Cruel instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Spider-Man No Way Home after I saw it. Non-spoilery Spider-Man No Way Home reactions. One, wow. Two, I wasn't expecting it to get darker than Eternals. Three, Entire audience gasped with joy at one bit. Four, in your fucking face screen rant. That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give her thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home is writer and author Gabby Hutchinson-Crouch. Gabby, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Scribblet if they like political shouting and pictures of whichever cartoon man I've got a crush on this week. <laughs> if you like the words that come out of my face, you can read some words that came out of my hands. I've written a bunch of books. I've written a, a comedy fantasy trilogy that's suitable for older children upwards towards adults, which is called the Darkwood Trilogy. And I've also just started on a slightly more adult trilogy about a family of ghost hunters which is called The Rooks and those are available from all good bookshops and one evil bookshop. I also do a podcast about cartoon crushes called Curiously Drawn where I talk to funny guests from the world of comedy and publishing and all sorts about three crushes that they've had on animated characters and we have a nice little chat about nostalgia and gender representation and sexuality. I have a lot of sort of LGBT plus people on it and a lot of sort of older LGBT. I'm bi and I'm 42 now. I sort of grew up under section 28 and there was a lot of ah, repression that went on there. So we sort of talk a lot about sort of formative crushes and also crushes that we have now and sort of the way that that sort of sexiness is portrayed to younger viewers and stuff and we have a lot of fun that's curiously drawn okay so before we go any further gabby what happens in spider-man no way home what happens in spider-man is there's too many spider-mans <laughs> <laughs> what happens in spider-man is a child is picked on by a far-right blogger and goes to a wizard for help and then there's too many spider-mans i think that's basically all there is to it yeah but as there aren't really any new characters to introduce gabby how much did you know about the green goblin dr octopus the sandman electro and the lizard before you saw this film <laughs> well i had seen and really enjoyed two-thirds of the toby Maguire spider-man movies i loved the first two especially dr octopus as i kept calling him throughout <laughs> the film <laughs> that's his full name 
especially Doctopus Octopus, who Alpha Molina is just fantastic and he's got so much depth to him. And I really liked, I enjoyed the Green Goblin more in this, Willem Dafoe, his Green Goblin. I think I enjoyed him even more in this film. And as for the other spider villains, basically I unenjoyed the third Tobey Maguire Spider-Man so much that it put me off the Andrew Garfield movies, which I now hugely regret. <laughs> <laughs> The villains were great fun. I mean, I still sort of, I think the villain that I was happiest to see was Dr. Octopus, just because I love Alfred Molina. But yeah, yeah, the other ones were great fun. There was sort of hints to quite a lot of depth to them, which is nice. There were hints to a lot of depth to like pretty much all of the villains, which was lovely, rather than just like someone like rubbing their hands and cackling. Well, I should just run through for the benefit of anyone who went to see it and thought, where did all these Spider-Men come from? <laughs> that basically, long story short, there were a series of Spider-Man films made by Sony before the Marvel Cinematic Universe started. They were mostly good. They had some problems. One of my problems, which I'll come back to, is I didn't feel they got Peter right, but I have now changed my opinion because of this film but again more about that in a minute but it was the worst kept secret in the world that they were going <laughs> to do this kind of well it's not really a reunion movie but it sort of is but there's a very weird story about how it got made or rather nearly didn't get made which is that Sony still technically owned the rights to Spider-Man and quite a few characters associated with him and there was a sort of dust up that both sides kind of pretend it wasn't happening between Marvel Stroke Disney and Sony about where they move forward. And they've been very quiet about that. But originally they said there would be no further Spider-Man films. And then suddenly this is back on and it's bigger than ever. And it appears they've been very tight-lipped about what happened. But it appears that one thing that's rumoured is that Tom Holland actually requested a meeting with all three studio heads, the details of which aren't known. But the other is, in the end credits for this, there is a huge, massive credit thanking Avi Arad, who was, before they started doing the MCU, was the head of Marvel Entertainment, who gradually, he found he had a knack for filmmaking. And when they came to do the MCU with the first Iron Man, he basically said, do you know what, guys? It's time I form my own production company. I'm off. And, you know, he's been very successful since then. Clearly, he has been some kind of go-between here. And that's why, you know, taking up the entire IMAX screen is this thank you to him. <laughs> I really like the idea that little Tom Holland was the one. <laughs> did, maybe he did the sexy Rihanna dance for them. Because that's just... That just makes everyone so happy. Certainly in my Twitter bubble, that's like the one thing that can bring everyone together with joy. So I like to think that little Tom Holland, he's actually like in his mid-twenties now, isn't he? But like mentally, we still see him as like this goofy teen. Yeah, I like to think that too. Guys, guys, guys. I don't know why I'm doing this voice for him either because he's like British and like a man. But yeah, in my head he goes, guys, guys, I know what I can do. I'll make us all happy. Come and watch me dance to Rihanna. That sounds a bit like Michael Jackson, so I hope he wasn't moving. Oh, <laughs> and also it casts a weird sheen on, you know, the idea of a boy dancing for some grown men. But <laughs> let's move swiftly on. I mean, it's Hollywood, so... <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that there's a part of the negotiation that partly that, that Sony were probably saying, can you acknowledge our films so we can make more money from them? But also mm. that the whole thing with the MCU was that they looked at the Sony Spider-Man films and the X-Men films and Blade and thought, what do we like about them? How do we turn this into our own thing? And obviously the time has come now where they've thought, we can't really, nobody else can do Dr. Octopus like Alfred Molina or the Green Goblin like Willem Dafoe. The others kind of modified in this, which we'll come back to. But 
they were obviously thinking, well, we've got to do them and we can't do them with other people. What did we like about those Spider-Man films? And it's interesting they brought the two Spider-Men and the villains in and not really anyone else. Yeah, I think with Marvel, it's got like almost like the opposite problem to what DC have got. So with DC, I mean, besides Christopher Reeve, there is no definitive Superman. There's no definitive Batman. They just sort of exist in the ether. I don't think, have they ever found it? I mean, they found a perfect Superman, but they haven't been able to replace him. I don't think they've ever found the perfect Batman. But with MCU, it's like... Tony Stark is just, that's just Robert Downey Jr. You can't have another person playing Tony Stark now, and you can't have another person playing Captain America. Well, at least you can't have another person playing like Steve Rogers, because it's just them. I think they got it down so well the first time. I mean, I know that now that there's like three different Peter Parkers, but I think that they would struggle, especially because Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe's performances were so good and so charismatic and so well-rounded. I think they would struggle to replace them if that makes sense yeah i think that absolutely makes sense but speaking of we've got to get the thing that excited me the most about this film out of the way people mm-hmm. who aren't replaceable charlie cox as matt murdoch slash <gasps> showing oh up for one scene and almost stealing the entire film catching a brick that's thrown through a window because he's that good a lawyer we all went as a family this was going to see spider-man is the one thing that we did during covid christmas 2 electric boog <laughs> we were like well we saw our families like before Christmas and so we had like a little space it's like I'm gonna brave the cinema so we all went as one family and my daughter was next to me and after the film she was like why does everyone cheer with that random lawyer <laughs> <laughs> And by what that now suggests about the possibility of bringing the Netflix series sort of into the MCU. So everyone loves, I mean, Daredevil's great. And now that they're starting to, sort of going back to Hawkeye, now that they've sort of started to get, you know, they've made Hawkeye hard of hearing, they've made Clint hard of hearing, and they've brought in a really interesting sort of morally grey character who is deaf by a deaf actress it'd be really nice to yes sort of bring in more sort of disabled representation from Matt Murdock into it as well the thing is though that a lot of people have been saying why did they hire Matt Murdock why didn't Pepper Potts get them big heavyweight lawyers from Stark Industries and I think and this is another indication that they're all coming back they clearly got Matt Murdock because he's represented the two most famous vigilantes in America Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and he got the Punisher out of prison so he's the go-to guy for I think people forget Peter Parker is a vigilante he is a street level character you know mostly dealing with thugs and criminals to me that makes perfect sense and then doesn't actually say to happy you'll need to get a corporate lawyer about the other charges so i think at this stage people are just looking for reasons to pick holes and i wish they'd stop yeah he's just as you say he's a really good lawyer and he's probably not going through pepper pots at all it is probably going through more sort of aunt may well it was also quite the day because on the day this came out that morning there's also been the episode of Hawkeye where Kingpin reappeared so yes. yeah that's two Netflix characters on one day and you still got those daft 
bloggers and Twitter accounts say, hmm, well, maybe it's a multiverse version of these characters. Maybe those old series aren't canon. Vincent D'Onofrio has been replying to people literally saying, I am the guy playing Wilson Fisk. It is the same character. But they're still carrying on with it. But I'm really excited about that because there was, they've been so quiet about all those previous TV shows for so long. And there was a, still not got to the bottom of this, Elizabeth Henstrich, who was Agent Simmons in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Mm. was seen on the set of No Way Home. And obviously her scene hasn't made into it. But Mm. they are clearly revisiting these characters. And it was getting to the stage where people kind of, they were almost mocking. Even Jessica Jones was kind of being sneered at a bit. By idiots, but it was being sneered Mm. at. But (laughs) if they are bringing back characters from films in 2008, if they're bringing back characters from other studios' films, they're going to bring them all back. And I cannot wait. Yeah, I'd love to see a Daredevil film. I'd love to see Jessica Jones brought into it properly. Oh, she's so snarky. Oh, I love Jessica Jones. She's so snarky and damaged. <laughs> I just love to see. I mean, I just like all the snarky, damaged women to like hang <laughs> hang out. <laughs> so, oh my. Imagine Jessica Jones hanging out with Yelena. That would be amazing. The other thing I've really got to bring up is when we were talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, we both talked about how much we like Flash and we think he's not a bad Mm. guy, he's a good guy. And we were right because in this, he's crestfallen when Peter, MJ and Ned don't get into MIT and he does. I mean, he tries to hide it. He creates a diversion to get them into school safely when the press are all there. With Betty Brant working for DailyBugle.net, which is an interesting decision. <laughs> but also, he helps them get into MIT as well. He is on the right side. He takes he, their side in the middle of a lot of hostility. And I know it's a fictional character, but good for him. I know. I like redeemable arseholes. one of my things. And he is brave and he is loyal. And he is a really nice little... No, he's like a tertiary character, isn't he? But he's just a nice little tertiary character with a little redemption arc. And I like that. The other thing you expressed concerns about was whether Doctor strange would come to dominate the film and you know be a white male saviour almost he's he's benched very early on isn't he I was expecting him to be like the second character in it I was expecting it to almost be like the adventures of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and he really isn't he's like he goes to Doctor Strange for help and then he leaves him (laughs) he leaves him tied up in a universe ties him up with maths (laughs) leaves him tied up in a universe for like the rest of the film finally gets out of it you kids! <laughs> and he's awful in it, Doctor Strange. Not the acting is awful, the character. And it is all his fault. I don't care that he tries yeah. to blame Peter for coming up with the idea. It is no, his you're fault. you're the adults in this situation you are again like what we were talking about far from home peter is still looking for a dance replacement he is just like the whole of that film what the whole of the trilogy is peter parker needs a dad replacement and he keeps going to people who are wrong for that for that role and i think he eventually finds a dad in himself He discovers that the best person to be his sort of father figure is a different version of himself. But Doctor Strange is just like not good with kids at all. He's probably he's even worse than Tony is. Oh, you made me break the universe. What? So, yeah, I imagine that, well, it looks like Doctor Strange is going to be having to clear up his own mess now, which is something, at least because a lot of people assumed after Loki and WandaVision finished, that the whole of Doctor Strange multiverse of madness was just going to be him just clearing up the absolute mess left by Wanda and Loki. (laughs) So, for God's sake, I'm just trying to sit here in my big house 
and you guys just keep breaking things. But no, it is his fault. At least this time he's going to have to clean up his own mess. But I mean, he might be hardly in it, but probably has about as much screen time as the two real stars of this, who are Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Now, the thing that has really impressed me about this was, as I say, I always felt with both of those films, well, I mean, there are several weaker points to the Andrew Garfield ones, which I'll come on to in a second, but with both of them, I felt it was Peter wasn't how I'd always found him to be in the comics, or even how he'd been in other previous adaptations, really. But to have them alongside Tom Holland at the MCU, and to basically say, this is Peter, where something went very slightly differently in his life, suddenly it makes sense. It shouldn't really work like that, but it does. Suddenly I can accept them both as, yeah, they're just, they're him, they're just slightly different him. And I really, really liked Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, because I like an underdog, and he was definitely the underdog in it. He spent the whole time looking at the other two Spider-Mans and going, I suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm really bad at this. I loved the little pep talk that you had. It kind of felt like the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker was like dad Peter Parker and Tom Holland Peter Parker was like the mum because <laughs> he was the one with all the heart and then Andrew Garfield was like the older sibling with a chip on his shoulder. I loved the little pep talk that Tobey Maguire Peter gave to the Andrew Garfield Peter. You're the amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> which was really sweet. Yeah, the, sort of the little redemption that he gets to be the one that saves the girl this time instead of just like dropping her. I really found he was a revelation in this because the big problem with those two films that he was in, which I never really took to, people always thought it was him, but it's not him. When you see him in this, you realise that he wasn't given very good innovative commas tools to work with. Mm. There's a whole terrible patronising atmosphere to them of, you know, what the kids like. They like angst and emo. <laughs> Let's make him really withdrawn and quiet. There's the supporting cast. You know, some of them are good. The villains are largely good, apart from problems with the way Electro is done but again I'll come back to that they're just not very good I'm not sure what Martin Sheen is doing as Uncle Ben but it's not really acting it's like he's just turned up and he cannot be bothered and there's the complicated <laughs> plot the odd decisions they took with some of the characters but here he's a little bit older he references the fact that he's had more life experiences there because he mentions the fight with the rhino which is literally just set up in the second film he's found his place in the world he's found confidence he's the only one who really keeps his cool and his humour throughout and that really given that they've given him another chance and he's shone that gives me hope they're going to give another chance to say Iron Fist or Damon and Hellstrom or some of the better cast members in Humans and just give them a chance to work with a better script and a better director and see if they work a bit better. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I just, I really, really loved that whole dynamic. Yeah, I loved sort of seeing a sort of slightly older Peter. I liked seeing sort of Tobey Maguire like complaining about his back. Yeah. <laughs> the bit at the end where he gets stabbed and it's like, that was fine, I've been stabbed before. <laughs> and then they're just <laughs> waving him goodbye and Andrew Goff goes, you must be in so much pain right now, I did. Yeah, 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 I'm really... I'm barely holding on. I just love that. I really, really love it. There is the whole undertone to this, which is really underplayed. I was expecting to make more of it, though, about the whole conspiracy theory angle of it. People saying Mysterio was right, being a kind of recurring refrain in it, which, you know, he obviously wasn't anyone with a functioning brain. It was J. Joe the Jameson brandishing Daily Bugle supplements. You say that, but what it's satirising does have a huge foothold. You know, it has got a huge following. You know, it is satirising something that is utterly unsubtle and yet 
because grab people, you know, you've got people saying, so the MCU now, there's people saying, oh, Mysterio is right in Hawkeye. You've got loads of graffiti saying like Thanos was right. It's like what they are satirizing, let's say a certain, <laughs> as we mentioned in Loki, a certain online right wing and a highly anti-Semitic <laughs> conspiracy cult that has got people in its grasp and has got people taking fucking horse medicine instead of vaccines. So at this point, I think they can show something that's utterly unhinged that is very very clearly referencing something that is utterly unhinged in our own world it's like yeah that's fair enough we know that this would happen because it's happening and yet there's something oddly likable about jk simmons as this iteration of J. Joe and the jameson he just seems somebody who's lost the plot rather than somebody evil he plays it so well that it's i don't know yeah. it's not a sympathetic character but you kind of you don't want him to get hurt or anything whereas you might do with the more direct parody of some of the people that he's a reference to yeah i mean you never do with jj do you he's always just like an overbearing git he's not like a proper villain he's just a bit of a douchebag and you know he's he's been played by jk simmons like throughout <laughs> like he is the one constant he's the new stan lee he's the guy who's just always there and also their world is even weirder than ours and can you blame some people for absolutely losing the plot you know this is a world that's still dealing with the fact that a decade actually more than a decade for them isn't it because there was a time skip so 15 years ago for them aliens suddenly invaded the world and everybody remembers that and loads of people were killed and then they're now dealing with the fallout the fact that half of them died for five years and then came back to a world that had completely changed so you can't really blame i mean there are going to be people who are just completely losing the plot at this point (laughs) and just going completely unhinged hi tiktok i'm betty brandt Some of you may know me from my award-worthy work for the Midtown High student paper, but I'm super excited to announce I am the newest intern for the Daily Bugle, and I'm going to be running our official TikTok account. This is an honor and a dream come true. I promise to bring you the fair, balanced, and hard-hitting news you've grown to expect from the Daily Bugle. I can't believe my first real job is, this is a real job, right? Like I'm getting paid for this? Good to know. Now, a word from our sponsor, Daily Bugle Supplements. Daily Bugle Supplements, the only other daily fix you need. We need to talk about the villains, really. And the first thing is, the Green Goblin, like you say this, he was great in the Tobey Maguire films, William Dafoe, but he's actually frightening at times in this. And there's a lovely contrast between, you've already seen him being terrifying. When Peter says to Doctor Strange, I saw one that looked like a big green elf, he's like, oh, well, he sounds jolly. Why don't you go and get him? <laughs> His unhingedness is really off the scale in this. Yeah, the, the way he sort of weaponizes his patheticness. I really liked the sort of the flip between him and Dark Ark that you know he was like sort of overplaying the patheticness when Dark Ark was just like a big old grump <laughs> and then <laughs> they took the thing that was making him grumpy out of Dark Ark you know Dark Ark starts off the story a nice guy he's a friend and mentor to Peter without the tentacles like controlling him and, and it was really nice to see that flip and to see nice Octopus Octopus again but then yeah that happens at the same time that the Green Goblin just goes ah you thought I was being nice and sad 
I'm not I'm evil. Well, there is an interesting thing with all five of these villains where the big bads that Peter has fought in the MCU so far are people with objectives, the people with agendas, but they don't really want innocent people to get hurt if they can avoid it. I mean, mm. Adrian Toomes, yes, he's selling arms, but he's quite a moral man in some ways. Quentin Beck just wanted to start technology. He didn't want to hurt anyone. He just wanted his specs. <laughs> exactly. Baron Zemo, really, he's a bit like someone from The Wire. It's kind of, I ain't never put my gun on no one who wasn't in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows who his enemies are and he tackles them. Even Thanos, in a sense, there's a whole thing about he wants to make it entirely random so it was fair in his mm. mind. But these guys, they don't care. If you get in their way, that's it. You're going to get thrown off a bridge by a tentacle yeah. or a pumpkin bomb. And for him to be dealing with that, the stakes are much higher in a way, even though in a way they're lower. I, mean, I know that the, you know, the multiverses are ripping apart, but yeah. for Peter personally, they're much higher stakes. I mean, they definitely are. I did really like in the first two Tom Holland Spider-Man movies that they were ultimately quite low stakes, even in Far From Home, where you thought it was really, really high stakes, you know, world ending things. And it turned out to be a much, much smaller story than he thought. But in this one, it's a much, much bigger story than he initially thinks it is. And the fact that it is personally much higher stakes gets hammered home with what happens to May which yeah yeah it is a much it's really wrapped up from being sort of quite small personal stories you know the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man then friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man tries to go on holiday (laughs) and now it is an actual the actual world ending event problem that he thought he was facing in the second movie and turned out not to be and those two Dr Octopus and the Green Goblin are largely the same as they were in the earlier films Sam Man is the same he's still even not really a villain he's just someone out of his depth the lizard is yeah. much the same really but I think VC fans is given a bit more to work with ironically given that he's not working with the mad scientist agenda mm-hmm. he is just the lizard but Electro it's quite amazing that that really annoyed me the way they did in the first time round because he's kind of a nerd with you know glasses and plastered down hair and the social mm. misfit who becomes Electro who is basically a waste of Jamie Foxx it's just some yeah. blue triangles for most of it he's got <laughs> nothing to do you know even with the ridiculously costumed Electro from the comics but in this they put him in kind of electricity board workers high vis jacket and so yes. on and this will be lost and a lot of people think when lightning flashes around him it goes into the shape of the stupid Electro costume from the comics <laughs> a lovely touch you know they can reference that without having to do it. Yeah. But he's a much better character here in that, to mention The Wire again, he's a bit like Avon Barksdale. He's somebody who knows the limits of his power and influence, but how far they can be extended. And in a way, although he is not as intelligent as the others, he's smarter than them. Yeah, I thought he was a really interesting character. As I say, I hadn't watched the movie that had him in. But yeah, I thought he was played really well. I mean, obviously, he was having to share the film with so many other characters. He didn't have that much time. And I thought... He he did really shine in it. He was played with a lot of subtlety and also sort of thinking about the politics of it, thinking about the politics of having a black man being told to limit his power for like the greater good by a bunch of white people. Just sort of watching his face journey as he had that being put on him and they go, there you go. Now you won't be a danger to all of us 
cast white guys anymore. <laughs> and he did also think Spider-Man would be black before he saw Peter take the mask off. I love that Andrew Garfield Spider-Man apologised for being white. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so sweet. But also sort of going into that, I feel like that that again is sort of like teasing out Miles. We've had quite a few sort of teases about the existence of Miles Morales. His uncle does exist, played by Donald Glover. We've barely seen him. I'm hoping that he's sort of going to come into the next load of MCU Spider-Mans because it's an amazing actor that they've got to play a really, really interesting character. And that also we will have probably a young unknown playing Miles and it would be really, really, really exciting to see Miles Morales and just having Electro sort of saying, there really should be a black Spider-Man. It's like, there it is! <laughs> we really want to see him! Well, from characters we're coming back to one who won't be coming back, and the word we've not even really mentioned Ned or MJ yet, but Aunt mm-hmm. May being killed off in this. Mm-hmm. I've got mixed feelings about that because, you know, it made for a great, powerful, emotional scene. But I mm-hmm. kind of wonder if it was pandering to, you know, that stupid thing people have got about franchises now, about, oh, they never kill anyone off. Well, why do they need to? Who is that benefiting? And there's a part of me that wonders if this was a reaction to that kind of criticism in the face of nothing else to criticise about some really good films. They killed off Iron Man and Natasha. They've killed Iron Man, Vision and Natasha and they... I don't think many people minded about Vision though. Well, I didn't but I thought WandaVision was a wonderful exploration of grief and I actually did mind that they killed Vision after WandaVision. It's like, yeah, because they hurt Wanda. But they have killed off a bunch of major characters including the leading man. I was not a fan of it. I don't like fridging women and it felt very, very, very in that it's one of only two female characters. John Morris mentioned that there's more non-British characters played by British men called Benedict who make it through to the end of the film than there are women who make it through to the end of that film. So you killed off one of the two women with speaking roles so that the male character can have a reaction. That is absolute straight up fridging. That's a big problem. It is a really misogynistic trope. And it is such a shame as well because that version of May was great. I loved her. I loved her version of May. I loved how much fun she was. I loved the sort of the on again, off again thing with Happy. She was really good and she had all these sort of interests that were sort of outside with Feast. The idea that she was sort of working as a hero in a different way. I really, no, I didn't care for it. And it also, the reaction that Tom Holland's Peter Parker had felt out of character for him. To see him with that much rage and with that much violent rage as well and, and prepared to kill somebody over it. Yeah, I didn't care for it. He already knows that with great power comes great responsibility and we have seen him lose some somebody important to him we've seen him grieve and we've seen him grow through that it's just being somebody who wasn't like his aunt or his uncle we know that he's an orphan we know that he lost Ben we know all these things and we have also as I say we've also seen him lose somebody very important to him who's a parental figure to him and I felt that that was unnecessary you know the whole of Far From Home is him dealing with grief and we didn't need to just randomly fridge a woman and have him go from like quite a sort of a subtle sort of sad grief trying to find himself that he had when Tony died to just like no I'm full of toxic masculinity I'm gonna murder somebody (laughs) it just felt completely out of keeping didn't care for it on a more positive note though we do get some great performances from Jacob Battle and as Ned particularly the delight he takes in discovering he can use Doctor Strange's sling ring oh yes 
got as well Zendaya, who is turning out to be a tremendous actor. The difference with which she plays MJ in this, as somebody who, no matter how briefly, enjoys being a girlfriend while still not letting go of her mm. own character, is great. And it's actually, it's so tragic at the end that she doesn't remember Peter. Although there's the weird thing where she just says from nowhere it doesn't really hurt anymore, which mm. is obviously thrown in to throw a bit of doubt into there. She is fantastic, and yet she's kind of, with everything else going on, it's almost lost a bit in the middle of it. Basically, there's so much going on. There's so many different blokes in it, because, like, obviously all of the Spider-Mans are male, and all of the villains are male. There's just so much testosterone flying around. There's just, like, not really room for MJ, really. And, yeah, it's weird that Peter's had the little story about, how's your love life? I don't know. <laughs> how's your love life? Oh, mine died. I dropped her. <laughs> Yeah, she is such a great actress and she's got such great chemistry with Tom Holland. And basically, well, we'll see what happens with the next film. I'd certainly like her to get her memory back or whatever and get MJ back, really, or for them to reconnect again or whatever. Yeah, I'd like that. Mentioning him asking about their romantic lives in their own universes has made me think of the fact that, you know, there was that brilliant bit where he says, I don't want to brag, but I was in the Avengers and the kind of, who are the Avengers? Yeah. We're in a band, but it did, it did make me wonder. They cannot be the only superheroes in their universes. Who else was there? The Ang Lee version of the Hulk or the 1989 Punisher? <laughs> no. Howard the Duck from the disastrous Howard the Duck film is he there? I just hope that Spider Ham exists in every universe and that they're all played. <laughs> they're all played by John Mulaney. But yeah, we do get that weird because the attempts to reverse the spell don't work for various reasons and then the Green Goblin blows up. I mean, have we actually said they cast a spell so that people forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and that's where yeah. all this comes from? They're trying to undo it and it doesn't work. The Green Goblin blows up the interdimensional box thing that Doctor Strange <laughs> is going to push a button on to send them all yeah. back. And there's a bit with kind of the sky ripping open and there's a lot of speculation on the various shady figures that are seen. I'm convinced one is Craven the Hunter and they've now announced Sony that they're doing a Craven the Hunter film. A couple of people have said the black cat. They don't look like they're trying very hard to come through though. That's the only thing. Somebody said that they saw the Watcher in there. Probably, yeah, but it's a bit like, you know, on the start of the Muppet show when it pulls out, you've got all those Muppets <laughs> behind the Presenium arches. <laughs> I definitely saw the rhino guy. I definitely saw a rhino. Yeah, it would have been nice if you'd have had like other touches, like maybe all of the Lokis still fighting, <laughs> like Alligator Loki and President Loki still fighting over their shit bowling alley at the end of the universe. And I think we really shouldn't think too hard about the spell that fixes it, which is that oh, nobody remembers who Peter key. Parker is. We just have to accept it and just it's carry on. It's literally a box with a button on it. <laughs> But then you get the weird things like, I don't quite understand how that scene works where he goes to pay his respects to Aunt May and Happy's there and yeah. he doesn't question how this mysterious guy knew her through Spider-Man and that throws into question, does he have big gaps when he remembers Infinity War and Endgame and things like that? <laughs> but yeah. the great thing about it is that we've now got Peter living in the rundown flat like he was when I started reading Spider-Man. This is the point at which I think we can legitimately, going forward, see him working for the Daily Bugle dating the black cat you could bring in more kind of down-to-earth villains like well like kingpin for example or the enforcers or mr negative maybe bring the other vigilantes into it you know you could see him alongside shang chi maybe we're gonna see his college year so will we get firestar will that be how they bring iceman into it maybe oh iceman i remember that was my introduction to spider-man that was him and iceman and firestar just hanging out i love that cartoon yeah oh that would be nice 
<laughs> but I love that they've kind of reset it in that way so they can move forward with Peter Parker with Spider-Man mm-hmm. without feeling like it's treading the same old ground again they're doing some things that they just couldn't have slotted in previously yeah and without wanting to still be on the same record bringing in Miles yeah <laughs> and yeah. having like having him being the adult one having him now that he has found a dad replacement in himself doing some dadding for Miles absolutely and the indication for one of the post credit scenes and something else that came out recently is that you know that could easily happen because over the end board we've got the magic number by De La Soul which I wanted to mention because it has clearly been remixed some samples that they probably couldn't clear anyone being taken out but they've also taken out a certain disgraced comedian but then we get a scene with Eddie Brock and Venom at a bar getting the details from the bartender about the whole story about how there was a billionaire who built a tin suit and the Hulk <laughs> and you thought Lethal Protector was a shit name and he then gets dragged back in his own dimension but how did they keep the post credit scene in Venom Let There Be Carnage where Eddie slips into this dimension and mm-hmm. I remember people were just gasping in the cinema when you can just about spot J.K. Simmons on the TV in the background yeah I remember thinking because they kept moving the release date for Let There Be Carnage and I remember thinking that must be because it's not very good <laughs> but they're obviously putting it closer to this I don't understand how they kept that secret but to see him here was great apparently they originally wanted to write him into the main film so it was like the Sinister Six Doctor Octopus's gang who keep trying to get Spider-Man and fail yeah. but they felt having Eddie and Venom was too complicated and already overcrowded film which is mm. fair enough it was a very overcrowded film <laughs> they are obviously going to collaborate going forward because before mm. this it was a trailer for the Morbius film Morbius a Living Vampire yes. which had Spider-Man murderer graffiti and Adrian Ooh. Toomes the vulture and obviously Morbius is a kind of frenemy shall we say of Blade who's about to appear so there is clearly some closer collaborations going on but yeah. the really exciting thing is a yeah, Venom symbiote stays behind everyone's been made to forget who Peter Parker is apart from that bit of Venom that has just found mm. out and do you know who one of the other people inhabited by Venom was in the comics no Flash uh-huh. or I did even think are we going to get it infecting MJ? Oh, no. Hope not. I think that would be... Br- I think she would really get something to get her teeth into there. Maybe. I just want MJ to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> to have a nice time. The other thing is we don't get a second post credit scene. I mean there have been some really weird things going on with them. I think it's to do with having to move everything round. You know all yeah, the TV series move round as when well. I, when I left the cinema I was like they very clearly shot another thing that now yeah. doesn't work because Covid's just messed up their timeline and their schedule. I think the missing one from Black Widow was probably Yelena coming back from yeah. the snap in Hawkeye. But in this instead of a post credit scene we get a trailer for Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness which had a few what the moments. I mean, I think we all knew Wanda was coming and Whoopi yeah. the Scarlet Witch in it. Strange Supreme from What If. <gasps> yes! So the, uh, I am evil. But also, Amarika Chavez, who's Captain America from another universe, who is a gay Latin American Captain America. Oh, cool. P.S. Morgan is going to explode when he finds out about her. <laughs> Especially because he'll probably respond to something and say, oh, 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 we're going to have a gay Latin American oh, Captain America okay. now, are we? Yes! Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. All we need now is massive Peggy. <laughs> well, I suspect she'll be on her way soon. Massive Peggy! <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I did notice the other day on Twitter, somebody who is watching all of the MCU films, I think for the first time, who I follow she posted saying what would happen if the Captain America serum was given to a woman you know in a kind of mm. jokey way and somebody said whoa just you wait until you see what yeah. if 
One thing that I am enjoying is it seems to be like in all the Doctor Strange movies, like Bendit comes back, she goes, but can I also play the villain? <laughs> <laughs> I just really love playing villains. Can I play the hero and the villain? Because he was Dormammu as well. But can it be more obvious that I'm playing the villain as well as the hero? <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed the first Doctor Strange. Those films are really pretty and they're so weird and the music's lovely and I like a hero with flaws and I love Wanda as well it's great that we're now finally getting to see Wanda actually do stuff instead of just sitting by a robot's side wish that they kept in for continuity sake is because this seems to be happening at exactly the same Christmas as Hawkeye is happening and when he swings past the big Rockefeller tree I really really wished that as he swung past it it would collapse <laughs> <laughs> with Hawkeye stuck in the top and going ah and for Peter to just go this feels like if I got involved I'd only make it worse and just swings off that would have been marvellous that would have just made my day because <laughs> it's the same tree and it's think it's happening at the same time time so it's like obviously this is happening like a couple of weeks before Kate destroys the Christmas tree <laughs> with, with poor Clint just sort of stuck in the top of it I'd have loved to have just Jeremy Red just going ah! <laughs> just past him oh hey Clint bye <laughs> Merry Christmas <laughs> they should also have brought just a musical and then had yes! the hipster busker from the Tobey Maguire films who sang <laughs> Spider-Man Spider-Man with their yes! violin standing outside it oh that would have been amazing well, that's why they should get me on as a script editor for the next film. <laughs> <laughs> so there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Gabby, if you had a box with a button where if you pressed it, it sent certain unpleasant people into another universe, <laughs> oh, what would you use it for? Oh, my goodness. I would I would definitely save the world. I have a list of probably about a dozen <laughs> people who are, who are very wealthy. I mean, the three space-bothering billionaires can fuck off and uh, a bunch of various different tyrants can go to pester a different universe instead. <laughs> so I do have a list and they're very rich and you can probably imagine who most of them are. Actually, it would probably hurt them just as much if we cast a spell where nobody remembered who they were. Oh, my goodness, yeah. As long as it took all their money off them as well. Like, who's, who's Jeff? Well, you know, you've got a bookshop, have you, Jeff? Well, that's nice. I think he'd be happier with a little bookshop. Yeah, but who am I going to order the Blu-ray of this from, then? <laughs> all the online retailers are available. Gabby, thank you, and Excelsior. Cool. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Called Accepted Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org. No more, no less. That's a magic number.